for your uh, your work for us. Um, so we've been working through the Apostles' Doctrine, and we've looked at the Apostles' Gospel that Peter preached to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And then we looked at that initiation, that, um, that pledge of your commitment in, in baptism the next time. Then we looked at the two ways that God says there are to live. There's the way of, of destruction that the world pulls on, uh, and then there is the way of life that's found in Christ in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, where He holds everything together by the word of His power. And then we looked, fourthly, at renewing our minds. What does that look like? If God has saved us and He has brought us to Himself and He has, he has washed our sins in His blood and He's made us new, then what does it look like to walk in that, to be continually renewed in our mind from Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4? Then, fifthly, we looked at, well, one of the ways we need to renew our minds is learning how to disagree with, uh, with, with, with other believers in Romans chapter 14 and 15 because the church is a laboratory. It is the practice ground. It is a training field for global missions. And if we can't learn how to relate to people of other cultures, even no matter how small the differences might be in these different microcultures of different generations, growing up in different areas of the world, different family backgrounds, etc., then how are we going to be effective in world missions? And so the church is a laboratory for, Rome, for, for world missions. It's no, um, it's no uh, uh, a small thing that Paul connects Romans 15 with Romans 14 of learning how to get along. And then we looked at uh, Ephesians 2 and 3, and the centerpiece, the bullseye of God's eternal plan, the church of Jesus Christ, that he desires to be built up in that family of God, extended. And then we looked um, after that in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, at um, the household of God. And if God had, had uh, given Paul a mission, one of his missions was to unfold what it meant to be a biblical church, to be the family, the household of God, a family of families. And so 1 Timothy 3, 14-16 tells us that if that is true, then he has also laid out how the church is to conduct herself when they're gathered as well as when they're scattered, to represent Jesus as the household, the family of God. And then last week, we looked at what it means to be an individual family in the church of God. A family, uh, 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 families together, all individual family units making up the family of God. And today we're going to kind of bridge those two, connect those two together. What does it look like to be individual families within the family? Within the family. And we're going to wrap up this second um, uh, tier here of the Apostles' Doctrine here with setting our our uh, our purposes and our priorities next week for living according to that. So have your Bibles open to Titus chapter two. Um, Birch is going to speak to us here this morning, and uh, it's going to be uh, a, a breath of grace, and it's also going to be a challenge uh, to us to live in according to the grace that God has has brought to us. Yeah. Welcome to uh, South Hope Community Church's weekly field day. Um, <laughs> glad you could make it. As Jamie said, we're going to be in Titus 2. Titus chapter 2. We sang that song, um, uh, Oh Great God, the last verse. Help me now 
to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. That's the that's the, the the overall concept. I don't really even need to preach this this chapter so much. After singing that, after that verse, that's exactly what this is talking about. It is it is taking the the sound doctrine of salvation and saying, how does that how is that shown through me? How is that shown through my life, through our church family, through our interactions with one another, how do we demonstrate those teachings, those that sound doctrine that we've been given? So let's read through chapter 2 here. Paul is commanding, he's teaching Titus, an older man, teaching a younger man, and telling him what he is to teach. Look at Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Titus. But speak you the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people a special people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have it in front of us. Thank you that we can dig into it, that we can, we can know it that we can learn it. Father, I pray that you would be lifted high today. 
but not just today, but that this week our, our behavior would show that you are a great God, that you are a gracious God, that you are the God who saves. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that your word would be living, that it would be active, that it would change us, that it would pierce us, that it would cause us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you a little context from chapter 1. Paul is condemning the behavior of the ungodly false teachers who are claiming the name of Christ, claiming the truths of Christ, and yet they are using those for themselves. They are taking for themselves what they, they, whatever they want. They are desiring that. They are manipulating. They are, they are, are bringing a following. What's up? Yeah, I can. Now, then that will cause feedback with that speaker. What's that? Yep. It's off? Okay. Can we get in the shade enough? <laughs> Probably would have been easier just to have the boys run and get my sunglasses. Okay. So, he's saying that these false teachers, what they're doing, what they're, what they're claiming, and at the same time how they're behaving, they don't match. They don't align with one another. That they're claiming to believe in the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ and that the grace has been given to them. And at the same time, they're, even though they've received this gift of salvation from God, simultaneously, they are taking whatever they can for themselves. It is, it is about uh, setting up a, a system of, of getting followers to follow them, of, of amassing power, and then also of, of money, of trying to, to, to get money out of people for their own, their own pleasure, for their own purposes. And so they're using these, these truths of God and yet behaving in a completely uh, uh, opposite way of what these truths themselves would teach. You see, there's, when you claim something, when you claim to be something, there are behaviors that go along with that claim. If I claim that I'm a carpenter, and then you come over to my house and you see how I do carpentry and you see that often the board is too short or too long or that when I, dri when I drive in a screw it doesn't really snug up or that my joints are, are kind of loose, you have to ask yourself, either Birch is a really bad carpenter or he's not a carpenter. One or the other. But if you watch Jason do carpentry and you recognize that the vast majority of the time the board's the right length and the screws snug up and the joints are tight, you say, oh, those are the behaviors, those are the activities that go along with claiming that you're a carpenter. 
Those two things go hand in hand. And so in this passage, in chapter 2, what we see is that there are behaviors, and Paul is commanding, with the most emphatic terms, he's commanding Titus, teach these behaviors. These are the behaviors that go along with sound doctrine. Now, how many of you have been taught sound doctrine? If you've been part of this church for any length of time, we teach doctrine here. That's important. That's the foundation. That's what we stand upon. You need to know these truths. Sound teaching from the Word of God must be taught. But there are things, in verse 1, there are things that become sound doctrine. We don't use this word become anymore. It's not like I walk up to Charlie and say, that's a very becoming flannel shirt that you have on today. I might maybe use this term with my mother, that that, that hairstyle is very becoming on you. What does that mean? Does it mean she wasn't attractive and now she is? Thanks. Okay. Um, it's so much cooler now. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that she wasn't attractive. It means that she was attractive and that hairstyle shows off that she is. That's what, what this passage is talking about. That these that sound doctrine is attractive, it is sound, and that there are behaviors that show that off, that demonstrate that it's sound doctrine. This, this truth and, and this teaching is woven all throughout this, this passage. Notice that in verse 3, the behavior as becomes holiness. We have a sound teaching, sound doctrine about the holiness of God, the, that the people of the church are to behave in a way that is becoming of, that shows holiness to be attractive. God's holiness. We see this again in verse 9 and 10, that we're to exhort the servants, so think of it as almost employees, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. They may dress up the doctrine of God. Do you recognize that we as believers in this sound doctrine have the opportunity to dress up the truths of God? To show them off. That's what we get to do Monday through Saturday. We, we are showing off with our activity, with our behavior, with our interactions with one another. You see, we come and sing about it here. Oh, great God, we, we lift God high and that's wonderful. That's absolutely necessary. But we talk the talk and we walk the walk. We have to live that out. We have to show that, demonstrate that, and we can make those truths look beautiful. We have that opportunity. Now, we know that these behaviors, these works, do not save us. For by grace are we saved, through faith, and that not of ourselves, not of works. No, it's not that these works save us. The, the, the salvation has taken place. 
But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 follow with verse 10. We are predestined unto good works. The works don't save us, but we are saved. And that truth of that salvation changes how we live. And so we see in verses 11, the end of the chapter, if I was still there, the end of the chapter, 11 through 14, tell us what sound doctrine are is specifically is Paul referring to here. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He's talking about the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of the teaching of salvation. The grace of God has appeared. Who is that? Jesus Christ. To all men. That's spread by, by sharing the gospel. And then look, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's looking back to the saving work that Jesus did. Looking forward to his coming to call us home. But then Paul, this is, this is so classic of him. He says the words, our Savior Jesus Christ. And it's like he can't, can't help but, but express what he's done for us. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people, zealous for good works. My sister has been in a wheelchair for two years. She has a rare bone disease. It was finally diagnosed and confirmed many, many, many times. Until finally the insurance company and through lots of prayer has finally given her the medicine that she needs. Praise God for that. That medicine is so impacting her bones that she is in pain as it, it, as it works, as it does its work in her bones. She is also required to go to physical therapy. As part of taking this medicine, it is necessary that she does physical therapy. She's been in a wheelchair for two years, so her muscles have atrophied, her tendons have, have tightened up. And so she, she must do these physical activities along with taking this medication that changes her bones. Now, if she didn't do that physical activity, the medicine would still change her bones. It would still affect this disease. But, she would not be a healthy person who is able to get up and walk. You see, this is, this salvation has changed us, has made us, uh, has given us new birth, has, we've been born again a second time, and but there are, there's a walk, there's a physical therapy. Look at verse 12. Once again, if I could stay in that passage. Verse 12 here, teaching us that. That word in Greek has the connotation of training, of physical training, of a coaching, a, a, a process that is lived out. It's not just simply instruction by word of mouth. It's, it's a hands-on doing something. Salvation that has come to us through 
God's grace and through faith is to be lived out. It's to be walked out. It's to be demonstrated. Our, 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 our dry bones that have been made to come alive, we need to put flesh on those. The muscles that have atrophied need to be exercised and lived out. So how is that lived out? Verse 12 again. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. If it is God who has saved us, if it is God who has loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, if it is God who has adopted us into, our, into his family and we now have a loving father who cares so much for us, then why would we want anything to do with ungodliness, with those things that are anti-God, with that are opposed to God? If this is the God who cares so much and loves us so much, why would we want to participate in those things? And then worldly lusts. The lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. The pride of life. These are the affections, the desires, the longings that, that man has. We do not, we should not be drawn away of those lusts. Because our affections, our new birth, we have something so much greater, so much more, with, with so much more depth and hope, hope and, and truth, so much more lasting value, that we don't need those worldly lusts. We don't need the lust of the flesh. You see, in Christ, we have been given true, deep, Comfort. But the lust of the flesh, that's that, that running after comfort, chasing after comfort so much that we're willing to sin to get it. Sadly, there are, there are men who throughout our churches are going to their computer or their phone over and over and over again and chasing after the lust of the flesh, chasing after comfort, when God is saying, but I've given you true comfort in Christ. They're wanting that pleasure that's so fleeting, and God's saying, no, I've, I've, I've given you a home, a place of comfort. Of rest. This this lust of the eyes. I think we think of this as looking at things, but really that comes from the lust of the flesh. But the lust of the eyes is is this wanting to appear in a in a way that's a, that's attractive. It's a wanting others to like me. It comes it comes under the the, the broad umbrella of fear of man. 
of I want, I want to look good to others and I'm willing to lie even. I'm willing to, to show off or make a fool of myself just so others like me. If through faith in Christ you've been accepted by God Almighty, why do we fear man? Why do we want to show off to them? Why do we, we have to put on a facade so they like us? That's a lust, of, a, a, a lust, a worldly lust. Some of you, though, you, have, you don't care at all what people think of you. Well, that's when we get to the pride of life. Because you don't care who you run over, who you, you, who you hurt in the process, as long as you get the job done, as long as you succeed, as long as you achieve, that's the pride of life. And it's all about what I do. And I better make sure that I do it. Well, if you come to Christ, you've recognized something that you can't do. You were hopeless to take care of your sinful condition. But Christ performed perfectly. And he was successful. He did achieve justice and justification before the Father for you. And so you humbly come before him and say, what I could not do, Christ did for me. And that's a rejection of that pride of life. Humbly coming before the Father and putting your faith and trust not in yourself, but in Christ's work for you. That, that is the, these worldly lusts that pull at us, that draw us away, that are in our, our nature, in Adam's nature and within us. But now, the flip side, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, yesterday I asked Warren, when you picture someone... Living soberly, righteously, and godly, what do you think of? And he said, someone who does good things that's dressed nice. And I said, you know what I think of? I think of a priest in his collar and in his robe. That's what pops into my mind when I think soberly, righteously, godly. I asked Connie this morning, what does she think of? She said, boring. <laughs> We get this idea of piousness, maybe. That's not what this is talking about. Christ is our example here. Christ lived soberly, self-disciplined, righteously, in right relationship with others, and godly in right relationship with God. This word soberly is woven all through the passage. If we look in verse 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity. That the aged women likewise. And then verse 4, they teach the women to be sober. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. You see, so what's this term, sober? Well, certainly it means not to be under the influence 
that that's referenced in, in uh, verse 3, that we are not to be given to much wine, the older women specifically, that we're not influenced by addictive behaviors. But more than that, it's talking about taking life seriously. It's very easy to be flippant about the things of this life. To kind of, to kind of, instead of talking about it in a serious way or addressing it in a serious way, we we laugh it off. We make a joke because, really, what is there to say? And I really don't want to walk into that with you. I don't want to walk alongside of you with that. So I'll just kind of laugh it off. Ha ha ha. No big deal. And our whole society is is wrapped up in this. Of, well, if it makes me happy, then shouldn't that be fine? Shouldn't that be enough? Don't think about it. Just just do what makes you happy. This is saying think about it. You see, sin is a life and death issue to God. It is so serious that the only thing that could take care of it was the death of Jesus Christ. The death of God in the flesh had to occur. That's how serious it is. Take it seriously. It, it results in this idea of caring for others. We're told to, to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means you care about them. You know, often addressing sin can come across as judgmental. But it's not judgmental when it's expressed in a way that says, I care about you. The reason I am doing this is because I care about your soul. I care for you. Many times when we address something, it's that we care about that thing so much. And often that crosses into our opinion about that thing. It crosses into how we feel about it. And then it does turn into just judgment because I take this very, very seriously and you don't. But if it's done in a relationship, in a caring relationship, then taking these things seriously, it changes that. The older men here are encouraged to take this life seriously. Doesn't mean you don't have any fun. It doesn't mean you don't do things that are enjoyable. But it means that you recognize that this is serious. This has eternal implications. There are young men, there are probably older men in this church whose faith is at risk. There are marriages in this church whose marriage is at risk. Do we care? Are we going to take that seriously? 
Or are we going to stay individualized and say, well, I'm sure they'll figure it out. I'm sure they'll, they'll uh, be able to, to get through it. We'll, we'll do what we can, which is feel bad for them. No, sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. The, we, as, as, if you are, if, if you have come through a stage of life, you are older than the previous stage of life, and you should recognize that there are things that are taking place. If you have, if you've been married 10, 15, 20 years, you're recognizing that there's young couples who are recently married, and you, you recognize that there are things you wish someone had cared enough that they came alongside of you in that. That there is someone in the stage of life behind you that, that you are coming alongside of and saying, Hey, I care. I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship that can be trusted. And this is all through this passage. It's borne out specifically with the older women and the younger women that the older women are to be trustworthy. Look, they are, they are teachers of good things. They are living a life that becomes holiness, that shows off holiness. And then they are to teach the younger. That comes from a trust relationship. If someone doesn't trust you, they are not going to share with you that my husband and I are fighting all the time. She's not going to, to tell you the, the, the heartache that she has for her children. She's going to be fine and you're going to be fine. And that will be the end of the conversation. There has to be a relationship, a trust relationship in this family of families, in this church family, that that interaction can take place so that we, in a serious way, can care for one another. And that we can take these things truly seriously. And recognize the gravity of them, the weight of them, long before they, they blow up. Long before parents lose their children. Long before husbands and wives lose their marriage. This behavior, young men, is addressed to you as well. Young women, you are, are to, be, to, to be discreet, to be chaste, to, to, to love the things that are good, to recognize that you have a, a, a place to, to show off Jesus Christ in your marriage, within your marriage. Jamie's spent a, a lot of time talking about this, of, of the, the roles in marriage and how they display who Christ is. And young men, take it seriously. The two main philosophies of God are, are typically atheism, and then some sort of deism. Atheism, that there is no God. 
one of the major problems, conflicts with atheism, is that it doesn't take the pain and destruction and tragedy and wickedness of sin, it doesn't take it seriously. It has nothing, it, it can't do anything with this struggle of life. It's just written off of, oh, that's Mother Nature. Or that's, the, that's just how things happen. It's a, it's a struggle. That's, that's, that's all that you have. And, and so, um, even when you read the, 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 the high-level humanists, they will say, and you just have to make your own way through it. It doesn't take the problem of sin, the problem of suffering, the problem of tragedy, the problem of pain, the problem of wickedness. It doesn't take it seriously. And the flip side of that, to say, oh yeah, I believe there's a God. Yep. He's up there doing his thing and we're down here doing ours. Same problem. What about wickedness? What about the, the, the pain? What about the suffering? If he's just this thing up in heaven, what about that? But Christianity says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son to die. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. He died for our sin. He took it seriously. And that truth, that doctrine, that sound teaching must be reflected in the fact that we are to take our relationships with each other, the things we see in each other's lives, if we could spend time together, working together, loving together, ministering together, we would recognize things in other people, each other's lives. We would come alongside of them and say, Hey, I care. I care. I want this for you. I love you. And so I want what's best. I don't want to see you walk away from the faith. I don't want to see you ruin your marriage. Because I take this seriously. And the sound doctrine, the sound teaching of God trains us to live that out, to act upon that seriousness, to do something about it. We are a church family who has been born, reborn into a new family. This, the, you are, how do you get into a family? You're born into it or you're adopted into it? Both concepts are, are given to to our salvation, that we are born by the Spirit into God's family, or we are adopted into God's family, that our older brother Christ paved the way for us, and now our loving Father has made us His. These behaviors 
of loving one another, of caring for one another, of taking the, the issues of life seriously, of wanting the best for one another, of showing charity or kindness and love and patience, being patient with young men, being patient with young women, demonstrating that. Those are demonstrating the characteristics of who our Father is. And so I, as His Son, I look like my Father. I want to look like my older brother. I want to, to live up to my Savior, Jesus Christ. I look up to Him. I'm proud of Him. He's my big brother. So I want to be like Him. Verses 13 and 14 again, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself, a special or peculiar people, zealous of good works. He gave himself for us. Way back in, the, in Genesis... God came to Abraham and made a covenant to him. He said, Abraham, you will be a people. Abraham, you will be a chosen people. You'll be my chosen people. And he said, not only will you be a people and my chosen people, but, your, but the whole world, all the peoples of the world, will be blessed through your people. Through God's chosen people. So he makes a covenant with Abraham and he, he tells Abraham, get, get some animals, cut them in half, lay them side by side with the blood in between them. And typically, this would have been done as a covenant, as a contract. And basically, the lesser party would have walked between the animal halves and have, had said, if if I don't keep my part of this contract, let this happen to me. And sometimes the greater authority would also walk through and say, if I don't keep my part of the contract, let this happen to me. But God did something very odd. He knocks Abraham out. Abraham is unable to move, unable to walk through the halves. And God passes through the halves once and he says, if I don't keep my part of this, let me be destroyed. Let me be killed like these animals. But then... God passes through a second time. And he's saying in essence to Abraham, if you don't keep your part of this, let me be torn in two. Let my body be torn and my blood be shed if you don't keep you're part of this contract. You see,
We have sinned against God. We have committed cosmic treason against God. And yet, God Himself came to earth in the flesh and was broken for us and was bled for us that we might be saved. Why? Because He cares. Because He cares for you. And that care that has been given out, given to us, poured out upon us so generously should flow out of us. So remember those pictures that I said that we came up with when what do you think of when someone's living soberly, righteously, and godly? What did Christ tell the disciples? What picture did he give them? Hereby will men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Our love as a church body is not displayed, certainly it's displayed by coming together, but much more beautifully. It's, it's, a, it's a becoming, it's a, an adorning, a dressing up, a showing off when we demonstrate that love, when we act upon that love, when we show that we are taking this relationship with one another seriously, soberly, rightly, and we're demonstrating that the care that's been given to us, it's going to be given to each other. He cares for you. And if that's how our Father behaves, that's how we are to behave. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sound doctrine, for sound teaching in your word. Lord, I pray that we would live it. That we would act upon it, that we would do it that we would recognize our responsibility. Thank you for transforming us at, at our most, our innermost place, Lord. Help us to show that on our, in our flesh. Help us to show that in our lives this week. Help us to be most active in our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Birch. Um, if I can have one of our deacons, uh, Jason Burgess, come and, um, and uh, just lead us in prayer together that God takes Titus 2, verses 1 through 15, the simple practical instructions in the first few verses, and then the motivation for all of that, the grace of God at the end, and the point of it, so that God receives the glory. Um, listen, when the Bible talks about us being zealous for good works, it's not so that we look really awesome, but it's so that we're mirrors reflecting the awesomeness of God. And um, Jason, would you just come and pray that um, you take these instructions to heart, because this is what's scoped out in Titus 2 is, is body life. Um, 
which is which is much more. Uh, God has so much so much for us. It's much more than um, sitting and being good listeners. Um, it's about an active pressing into other people's lives, and as Hebrews 10 says, stirring up love and good works. That doesn't happen unless we take an active part of that. All of us. And the gifts that God's given you, use those to stir up one another to love and good works. So Jason, would you pray according to that? Father, thank you this morning for this uh, sobering message it was. It was not a lighthearted appeal. Thank you for the reminder, Father, of the picture of love that you have had and shown to us, Lord. You've you've been that example that um, we are to be. And you mean business, Father. Lord, every one of us can remember who we are and who we were without you in this world. And I pray, Father, that that reality would be very powerful to us to remember what you've done for us and how we ought to live in this world. There's a whole community around us that is looking and watching. There are neighbors and friends, co-workers, people we work for, Lord, that need that same grace shown to them. And it was shown to us by someone else. Lord, I'm, I'm going to struggle this week to uphold this. And I, I pray, Father, that you would uh, come in your Spirit's power to empower your church. Lord, to live out this truth that we know and that we've experienced. I pray that we would adorn, what a good example, Lord, and, and picture that was, that we would adorn the truth that we have received as we live it out. Make it beautiful, Lord. Make it glorious. There have been many examples that we have all seen of people that have made the gospel look putrid. And Lord, may that not be said of us. Would you redeem our faults and failures, Father? Help us to be humble to recognize them. And help us to look to you, Lord, for that that healing that we need, um, for the empowerment that we need. Lord, may we be uh, vessels that are willing to live out your gospel in the world in which we live. Thank you again, Father, for the powerful reminder in the message this morning from your word. May we be reminded daily by one another in your word as we seek you and seek to love you through how we live. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us in purchasing us and redeeming us. Help us to live it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jay. Hey, um, one of the ways you can stir up love and good works to one another is ask each other how you can pray for each other. Um, it's such a simple thing. Um, I had the, the privilege this Friday of, uh, since Birch was preaching, taking a, a, a big chunk of Friday and uh, visiting some of, the, some of the elderly folks who can't make it out. I didn't get around to everybody, um, but uh, I, we just spent some time talking, got to Alfred and, and Bertha's uh, there for a good part of the day, and um, uh, just listened to God's faithfulness through the years. Um, young people, if you're wondering, how do I seek out an older person um, that uh, I need 
I need some guidance. I need to see God's faithfulness, God's wisdom in life. Why don't you ask if you can go ahead and meet with them and, and ask if they would just tell you their story. Um, there is a there is a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of God's faithfulness and goodness. All of us are crooked sticks that God is using and he's setting straight. And I just challenge you to glean from those who have walked with God uh, longer than you, who have been parents, who have gone through those things, and now are grandparents or great-grandparents. It's like I tell my kids, kids, um, I know you don't understand what I'm saying to you, but I've been a kid and now I'm a parent. <clears throat> well, there's a lot of folks here who have already been parents. Not that you stop being parents. I understand that as well here. But seek out um, the things that God has shown um, folks over the years. And uh, and uh, older folks, um, there should be a younger person in your life that you're seeking to pour into. Um, invite them over for tea or coffee or, or whatever. But, but find a way to interact with the body of Jesus. Because if we want intergenerational, continuing, enduring ministry like Titus 2, frames out, then it has to happen by us being active in that and not expecting somebody to happen to me. Younger people, you've passed through a stage to your stage, so you have a responsibility to reach the people under you. Um, and uh, so, so take the responsibilities to do that. Um, just a couple couple announcements here. Uh, reminders. So last week I mentioned a student. His name is Nelson in Myanmar. He's a master's student at the Biblical School of Theology, where many of you are supporting undergrad students. He desires to be a pastor. Um, there's a, uh, a need for him to be supported at $35 a month, which will support his whole schooling. If you're interested in that, please let me know, and I can connect you with Matthew, and he can show you the appropriate ways to contribute to that. Um, Nelson. And then also... Um, as I just mentioned, prayer, corporate prayer together as a church with other believers in this church is such a key thing. It's, it's, it's the powerhouse for our church, all right? It's not the end all, but it is where the power comes for us in our daily lives and us as a church together. And we have a corporate prayer meeting on Wednesdays, generally at 7. Um, but I understand that's not a time that works for everybody. So with this understanding, that corporate prayer, praying together with other believers, is important. I think we can all agree on that. And I think we can all agree that um, God is not limited to certain times. <laughs> Wednesday at 7 is the only time when he tunes in the South Hope, right? Um, God, God is, is not limited to certain times and places here and how he listens. I'd love to see you and me figure out how to do this creatively. 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 Thank you, Kathy. This is why we need English teachers. Where would we be without English teachers? Uh, creatively, to make this happen, uh, how are you pressing into corporate prayer with other believers? Um, some of us uh, meet uh, uh, every other week and pray together as a group of, as a group of three uh, here. Um, that's one way to do it. But find a way to do this with somebody else in our church. Uh, maybe you'd like to host a prayer meeting. At your home, uh, or maybe you'd like to be a part of one and want to figure out how to put that together or facilitate it. Um, listen, it doesn't have to be rocket science here. Uh, there's not one person that God uh, hasn't saved who can't pray. Right? That's why he saved us, to have, talk to him, to have fellowship with him, to have, us, have him fill us. So 
um, please, I'd like to press into that. And if you'd like to be a part of that and look for ways to um, interact with the, with the body of Christ, um, I understand Wednesday at 7 might not work for everybody, but what will work for you is what I'm saying. And let's press into that here. Well, we did order a sound system a couple weeks ago on Amazon's two-day prime shipping and has ended up into Amazon's two-week uh, prime ship it, shipping. And so uh, it, it should arrive at least by July 7th, from what I'm told. We'll see. still hasn't shipped out yet. That should enable us to, uh, to make things go much smoother. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for gathering this morning. Um, at the beginning of the week, I was like, is it going to rain or isn't it? And uh, God God's gave us a, a gap in the clouds here. Uh, you're probably a little warm, uh, but uh, glad you're here with us. And now let's stir one another to love and good works. You're dismissed.